Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for anyone who loves cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Uh, I hear that you are also going to be giving us some divaness today. I really wish that this were not just an audio podcast and that everybody else could have seen your face and hand movements <laughs> uh, you, when you said that. I don't even, you know what? I couldn't even replicate that. I don't even know what I did. <laughs> you know what? Every so often it pops into my head that we should have a Patreon like Triviality does. And we could be like, you know what we should do? We should just record one of our Skypes and then like release that as an episode. And then I think about the faces that I, oh my gosh, during episodes. And like, I'm just sitting here in like my, my like spare bedroom cave. <laughs> like, <laughs> not wearing a bra and just like you know covered in a blanket and like i drop a rock like, on the table every four minutes <laughs> bathing in the blue light of my uh microphone and i feel like that might not be as popular as people think it would be so <laughs> so it's best that this is an audio only podcast and that we don't get any extra stuff oh Ugh, lord but speaking of extra you Ooh, are right yes, lauren please. We are speaking tonight, today, we are speaking today about another famous diva. Mm. Um, this episode is A Star is Born, Barbara Streisand. Yes, yes, yes. I love this Babs. So I here's love the Babs. thing. I didn't know much about her before I started to do this topic. So this was Ooh. very enlightening for me. I also plan on going on a lot of tangents, by the Please way. Please do. So mm. this is going to be great. <clears throat> Barbara Joan Streisand, um, Barbara, spelled B-A-R-B-A-R-A, um, she was born on April 24th, 1942 in Williamsburg, Brooklyn to Diana Rosen and Emmanuel Streisand. Uh, her father was a high school English teacher, but he died of complications from an epileptic seizure when she was only oh, 15 no. months old. So she really didn't get to know her father at all. Oh, that's sad. Her mother, Diana, raised Streisand and her older brother, Sheldon, um, by working as a secretary in the New York City public school system. And they ultimately moved in with Streisand's grandparents to help make ends meet. Her mother then remarried in 1949 to a used car salesman while Streisand was away at camp. Oh, that's that's terrible. That's like a that's like a Nabokov book. Where it's just, like, hey, you, here's your new dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So her half sister Rosalind was born in 1951, and Streisand has described her childhood as painful. Oh. Um, she was really shy as a child. She often felt rejected by other children because of her unusual looks, mm -hmm. and um, she saw her stepfather as emotionally abusive. And she felt unsupported by her mother, who thought that she was too unattractive to pursue her dreams of show business. What is with these women? I don't know, mothers, man, man. Anyway. As a child, Streisand attended a Jewish school where she sang in the school choir. And following elementary school, Streisand was a student at Erasmus Hall High School. And at age 15, she met Anita and Alan Miller at the Cherry Lane Theater in Greenwich Village. She negotiated a deal with the couple where she would babysit their children in exchange for a scholarship to Alan's acting school. Oh, wow. Savvy. Yes. 
So Streisand moved to Manhattan in 1960 after graduating from high school, and she was working office jobs, and she attended acting lessons, and she was encouraged to enter a talent night at a local gay nightclub called The Lion in Greenwich Village. Um, The evening was a resounding success, and she soon embarked on a career as a cabaret singer, and that is when she dropped the middle A from her name so that it would stand out, Um, because people kind of wanted her to change her, they didn't like the name Barbara, Barbara Streisand, they thought it was maybe a little too Jewish. They thought it wasn't oh very catchy. Um, they wanted her to change her name to something like Barbara Sands or like mm. Joni Sands or something like that because Joan was her middle name. Um, so instead, she just dropped the middle A from her name. And that was her compromise. And she that said, was it. No more. Yep. Yep. So she earned a loyal audience at local nightclubs, including the Bonsoir, where she was paid $125 a week as the opening act for comedian Phyllis Diller. Hey. And yeah, right. Um, And she was booked at the Blue Angel, which was an even more upscale nightclub in Manhattan from 1961 to 1962. Um, Barbara claimed that she learned how to cover up her insecurity on stage by studying the flamboyance of the drag queens she met during this time. Mm, That makes sense. So Streisand is infamous for having avoided live performances for nearly three decades due to a Mm -hmm. debilitating bout of stage fright. And she attributes the phobia to a concert in New York's Central Park in 1967, during which she forgot the lyrics to one one of her songs oh, so that no. kind of like followed her for a lot of her career yeah but anyway Streisand made her major debut at 19 years old in the Broadway show I Can Get It For You Wholesale in 1962. Um, So this show, it's set in the New York City Garment District in 1937 during the Great Depression. The Mm. plot is not really important other than there's a lot of like Jewish harmonies and figures of speech throughout. So Mm. she got the part of the secretary to the lead actor businessman played by then unknown Elliot Gould. Um, (gasps) Yeah, so they fell in love during rehearsals and they eventually Mm -hmm. moved into a small apartment together barbara won the new york drama critics award and received a tony nomination for her performance Uh, the cast album for that show was her first studio recording Hmm. So Streisand signed with Columbia Records that same year and released her first album, the Barbara Streisand album in 1963. Um, Straightforward. She says she called it that supposedly because if someone went into a record store, they would say like, hey, do you have the Barbara Streisand album? (laughs) You know what? That's very savvy. Again, she was a smart broad. So um, this became a top 10 gold record, received two Grammy Awards, including album of the year. And at that time, she was the youngest artist to receive that honor. Wow. By early 1964, she'd put out three successful albums. She also appeared in the Broadway show Funny Girl for more than two years Mm. that earned her a Tony Award nomination. So Funny Girl is a semi-autobiographical story about the life and career of Broadway star, film actress, and comedian Fanny Bryce. Um, It's set in and around New York City just prior to and following the First World War. So the song People from that show became Streisand's first top 10 single. Um, Mm. Other songs you might know from Funny Girl include I'm the Greatest Star, You Are Woman, and Don't Rain on My Parade. Oh, I love that song. Yes. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a bowl of butter. I love that musical. Can I tell you? All right. I love Funny Girl. Here's where I point out to everybody that for my entire friendship with Lauren, she's just talked about how she hates musicals so much. And then every now and then she really is like, actually, I'm a secret theater nerd drama kid. (laughs) Well, Um, I was for a long time and then I rejected it and I was like, I'm a recovering theater kid. Yes. I'll never. But then, you know, 
But actually, hear, she likes musicals. I do. You hear like, Nikki Arnstein, Nikki Arnstein, what a beautiful, wonderful name. And I'm like, oh, I love this musical so much. It's just, <laughs> I'm a big nerd. Well, anyway, that's the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> hope you enjoyed the show. Anyway, so, okay. So we did, okay. I can get it for your wholesale and mm-hmm. funny girl. This yes. is where Babs's Broadway career ended. Like she was Are not in more than two Broadway shows. What? I was very surprised at that. I was like, I guess I had envisioned her as being like, you know, yeah, consistent stage working. and screen and everything. Anyway, yeah, huh? I had no idea. So in 1965, Streisand starred in the CBS TV special "My Name Is Barbara." Uh, the show won five Emmy awards. So wow. CBS Television awarded her a 10-year contract to produce and star in more TV specials, and she was given complete artistic control of her next four network productions. So Barbara reprised her role in Funny Girl in 1966 in London, and two years later, she made her big screen debut in the film version of the play. Mm -hmm, So this mm -hmm. was her first film. She ended up winning the 1968 Academy Award for her performance. Sorry. Actually, this was a tie. It was a tie with Catherine Hepburn. Um, So Catherine Hepburn had played Eleanor of Aquitaine in The Lion in Winter. um, Yes. And, you know, Barbara got you know they got the same amount of votes it was a tie only six ties have ever occurred with the oscars so probably the best known one is actually this one for best actress in 1969 with barbara streisand and katherine hepburn the first one was in 1932 um the oscar for best actor uh was a tie between frederick march for dr jekyll and mr hyde and wallace beery for the champ Uh, in 1950 the best documentary short subject was a tie between a chance to live and so much for so little in 1987 the best documentary feature was a tie between artie shaw time is all you've got and down and out in america in 1995, the best short film live action was a tie between the 23-minute British comedy Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life and the <laughs> LGBTQ youth film Trevor. And then the latest one was in 2013. It was for best sound editing, and it was a tie between Zero Dark Thirty and Skyfall. Yeah, it seems... Okay, so that's why I feel like I haven't heard a lot about it because there's clear there's only been like one actor and one actress award where it's like a tie between two people. Yeah. Well, it seems like the rest are like either technical awards or, or yeah. like the, you know, quote unquote, smaller categories that maybe, you know, especially now wouldn't be, you know, televised right. anyway for whatever reason or what yeah. have you. But that's really interesting. I didn't realize yeah. there was that many. There's only been, well, it's only, it's only been six. I mean, yeah, but still like you'd think that they would, I don't know, have a system in place to avoid that. But So her first film she wins the Academy Award, but actually she tied for the Academy Award. She has to share it with Catherine Hepburn. There are I mean, they gave them each, with. They gave them each one. Oh, they didn't they have didn't to break have it in like, half. It wasn't like a, <laughs> like a King Solomon um, yeah, yeah. Uh, situation here. Exactly. So her next films, 1969, Hello, Dolly, follows oh. the story of Dolly Levi, a strong-willed widowed matchmaker who travels to Yonkers in order to find a match <laughs> for the miserly, quote, well-known, unmarried half-a-millionaire, Horace Vandergelder, played mm-hmm. by the sexy Walter Matthau. Like, yeah, yeah, and she's like, falls in love. I, that movie is, I swear to God, six and a half hours long. It is so long. And they reprise the song Hello Dolly at least 18 times. It's <laughs> just it's, to wake you back up. Yeah. Just to get you torture. back into it. It's yes. torture. Yes. And then at the end, they put 
they like dragging Louis Armstrong to sing along with her to be like, one more time. Why? Hello, Dolly. <laughs> like, it's, and they had to modify her gloves because her natural fingernails were so long. So it looked like she had like weird, like pale man fingers throughout that entire movie. Wow. It's weird. I know too much about, you know Hello, a lot Dolly about Hello Dolly for a, for a musical that I don't care for. Anyway. Right. Well, yeah. You mentioned Louis Armstrong. He recorded that title tune. It became a number one single in 1964, which was the year that the show premiered on Broadway. Mm. So the film Hello Dolly was directed by Gene Kelly, but it didn't really have a lot of critical success, though <laughs> it, Hello Dolly was one of the first theatrical films to be released on the then new VHS and Betamax <gasps> home video formats Ooh. in the fall of 1978. Next, in 1970, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. Mm. It's a musical, comedy, drama, fantasy adapted from the 1965 production of the same name. Mm. So this is tough. Um, It stars Barbara as a scatterbrained five-pack-a-day chain smoker and clairvoyant named Daisy Gamble. She attends a class taught by a psychiatrist to kick her habit. And the kind of, this is where the plot goes haywire. She's trying to cure her nicotine addiction with psychotherapy. And while undergoing hypnosis, it's discovered that she's the reincarnation of Lady Melinda Winifred Wayne Tentry. No. A seductive 19th century coquette born the illegitimate daughter of a kitchen maid who then married nobleman Robert Tentries during the period of the English Regency. And of course, like the psychiatrist who's treating her like falls in love with her past self and oh, hilarity ensues. <laughs> this is a comedy? It's a comedy? It's, oh, that's weird. It's, uh, I'm not going to see it. it no, I don't maybe care some people this. have. Then also in 1970, it's The Owl and the Pussycat. It is based... Um, not on like the Edward Lear um, poem, but a mm. 1964 play by Bill Manhoff in which Barbara plays a sex worker who gets to know her quiet writer neighbor, Felix, who's played by George Seagal. Mm. And um, Stanley Kaufman of the New Republic wrote about this, quote, if computers can turn out romantic comedies, the results would be a lot like the owl and the pussycat. Oh. Yeesh. Not a, not a compliment. Not a resounding seems. honor there either. Yeah. But, that was her next movie. So <laughs> along with Paul Newman, Sidney Poitier, and later Steve McQueen, uh, Barbara Streisand formed First Artists Production Company in 1969 mm. so that actors could secure properties and develop movie projects for themselves. In 1972, she was in the screwball comedy What's Up Doc? Um, that was directed by Peter Bogdanovich. It was about like four parties who were staying on the same floor of the Bristol Hotel and they all have identical plaid overnight bags and they like unwittingly get switched around several times. I don't know. This one sounds funny. Um, it was the third highest grossing film of 1972 after The Godfather and The Poseidon Adventure. So what? yeah, that was a big, it was wow. a big deal for that time. And that same year, Streisand founded her own production company called Barwood Films, and she starred mm. in the company's first project called Up the Sandbox. Um, that film became one of the first American movies to deal with a growing women's movement. Mm. In the 1970s, uh, Barbara successfully merged her film and musical interests, first with the hit film The Way We Were, which featured oh. her number one single, the way we were and earned her 1973 Academy Award nomination for best actress. So the film was directed by Sidney Pollack and it's told partly in a flashback as the story of Katie Morosky, who's played by Streisand and Hubble Gardner played by Robert Redford. So Um, handsome in that movie. So handsome. So handsome. So So, uh, the, the gist of the story, 
they have very different backgrounds. She's a very vocal Marxist Jew with strong anti-war opinions. He's kind of a carefree wasp with no particular like bend in any sort of politics at all. They attended the same college and she was drawn to him because of his boyish good looks and his natural writing skills, which she found captivating. So their attraction was clear. They don't act upon it. They lose touch after graduation, but they meet again toward the end of World War II. They fall in love. Then they're on again, off again. They move to California so he can get work as a screenwriter. But then he starts writing for TV sitcoms, um, which is like He's kind of like selling out at that point, I guess. And mm-hmm. her political activist past is going to get them put on the Hollywood blacklist. So um, she gets pregnant and Hubble cheats on her with his best friend's ex-wife and they break up after their daughter is born. And it's like, you know, back and forth. Oh, it's, and a mess. it's just all about these, you know, these hazy memories about the mm-hmm. way that they were. And there was a, a reference to this movie in, I think, one of the episodes of Sex and the City or whatever. Do you remember this? I believe so. I didn't watch Sex and the City, but I but I read something yeah, that it was referenced I, in that. I hate watched it in like the 2000s when it was like on TBS. But I do remember there's like a moment where <laughs> Carrie is with Big and he's like chosen like the his new wife or whatever. And she sees him in the street and she puts her hand on his face and she says she's very lovely Hubble or whatever. She quotes yeah. the way we were. And yeah. Big is like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like I don't know what this means. Um, <laughs> and it was supposed to be like, oh, that's so romantic. Like she's drawing on the inspiration of a very classic film. But in hindsight, it's like, bitch, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hot takes. I know, hot takes from LT. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that. I think that happens at the end of the way we were or whatever. But. Yes, yes. So yeah, again, very big film. Next very big film, 1976, A Star is Born, also produced by Barbara. So the project won six Golden Globes and gave her her second number one single, Evergreen. She also won an Oscar for the best original song, the first woman to receive an Oscar for composing music. And this is 1976. Oh, my God. So A Star is Born, it was a remake of the 1937 original starring Mm Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, who just came up with that Oscar tie a few minutes ago, and the 1954 Mm -hmm. adaptation starring Judy Garland and James Mason. So Mm -hmm. this 1976 version stars Barbara as Esther Hoffman and Chris Christopherson as John Norman Howard. Um, Interestingly, kind of the first two films of this are focused on behind the scenes of Hollywood filmmaking, and then the 1976 and 2018 versions are more in the music industry instead. Mm, Okay. Okay. No big deal, but by the way, Babs E. Godded in 1970. Uh, Big deal. Yeah, yeah, right. So she's actually the youngest winner to receive all four awards. She did this by age 28, and there were just six years between her first award, 1964 Grammy, and her final one, a 1970 special Tony. And she also completed her EGOT in the shortest amount of time. Though I have to note here that her Tony was a non-competitive award. She received Mm. the 1970 special Tony for Star of the Decade. Um, she's also wow. the only winner to have won an Oscar in both a music and an acting category. Also, the only winner to have won all of her competitive awards for debut performances. Her first Whoa. musical album, her first feature film, and her first television special. That's a big deal. That's, That's really a cool. a big deal. At 28? What was I doing at 28? Nothing. <sighs> Not egotting, that's for sure. Not egotting. Mm-mm. Few of us were, Lauren. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so in the late 1970s, Streisand collaborated with former high school choir mate Neil Diamond what? on the song You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Yeah, they went oh, to high yeah. school and like sang in choir together. Of course. So that song went to number one. 
as did No More Tears, Enough is Enough, a dance record sung with Donna Summer. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I bet that's pretty good. Yeah, very catchy. As the 70s ended, Streisand was named the most successful female singer in the U.S. Only Elvis Presley and the Beatles had sold more albums. Wow. Um, but Streisand had her biggest selling album in 1980 with Guilty, which was written and produced by Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees and contained oh. the number one hit Woman in Love as well as Guilty and What Kind of Fool. So we're moving into the 80s. Barbara Woman in has- Love is so good. I just It, it just reminded me. Uh, Woman in Love is so good. Uh, so good. I'm going to put it, you know what? I'm writing that down. I'm going to put it on my Spotify right now. Woman Continue, please. I'm sorry. In I am a woman love. in love. Okay. All right. <laughs> in her 1983 directorial debut, she brought Isaac Bashivis's singer's short story, Yentl the Yeshiva Boy, to the big screen in yeah. Yentl. So it's about an Ashkenazi Jewish girl in Poland named Yentl Mendel, who decides to dress and live like a boy so she can receive an education in Talmudic law after her father dies. Um, so she takes the name Anshul after her late brother, and she falls in love with her friend Avigdor, played by Mandy Patinkin, who <gasps> is engaged to a woman who is unfortunately named Hadass, um, who's oh, portrayed no. by Amy Irving. So, ready. Uh a Vigdor's past turns out to be scandalous, and Hadass's family cancels her engagement and instead has Hadass marry Anshul, though their marriage Uh-oh. remains unconsummated. Yada, yada, yada. But there are happy endings for everybody in the end. Sure, um, of course. You know. Um, songs from this that you should know include Papa, Can You Hear Me? Yes. <laughs> and The Way He Makes Me Feel. <laughs> so this film received five Academy Award nominations, and Streisand received Golden Globes for Best Director and Producer of Best Picture. And although Yentl garnered considerable critical acclaim, the film also received three Brazzy Award nominations. Yeah. Oh, worst actor for Streisand, worst supporting oh. actress for Irving, and worst musical score. Um, Amy Irving, who played Hadass, is just one of three actors to be nominated for an Oscar and a Razzie for the same performance. Oh, oh no. Um, the others <laughs> are James Coco in Only When I Laugh and Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> That makes sense, actually. In 1985, <laughs> Streisand returned to the top of the charts with the Broadway album. And two years later, she starred in Nuts. Now, I hadn't heard of Nuts. It sounds like it could be a screwball comedy or like a fun, playful yeah. movie about someone who works for planters. Yeah. But it's a drama based on a 1979 play by Tom Topper about a call girl who kills a client in self-defense and her mother and stepfather attempt to have her declared mentally incompetent to avoid a scandal. And she doesn't want to be remanded to a mental institution. So she's determined to prove that she's sane enough to stand trial. And her court appointed public defender is played by Richard Dreyfus. And it just doesn't sound funny that at all. I don't think it all. works with the name of the no. movie at all. I would have... Oof. Does it have an exclamation point at the end of it? No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. It would have been kind of funny if it did. <laughs> it but, would be. But nuts. also not not a comedy. I don't know. No. I don't know who Nuts is for. Mm. Anyway, for her second directorial outing in 1991, Streisand made the movie Prince of Tides, a story based on the Pat Comrie novel. So this film garnered seven Academy Award nominations. It starred Barbara as Dr. Susan Lowenstein and Nick Nolte, pre-everything, as yeah. Tom Wingo, telling the story of the narrator's struggle to overcome the psychological damage inflicted by his dysfunctional childhood in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not a happy, cheerful story. Like, no. not. Not many of these things are. Um, I saw it a couple of years ago, uh, and by a couple of years ago, probably easily a decade ago. It is a tough, 
rough and tough movie. It's not great. It's not great. Like, like, mm. like don't have, um, don't do yourself like a double feature where you watch like Prince of Thieves and Prince of Tides. Like it's yeah. not gonna, it's not gonna play well. No, not together. That's for sure. No, no. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, a few years later, 1996, Streisand directed the film The Mirror Has Two Faces, mm. which is technically a rom-com drum, uh, starring Barbara <laughs> as Rose Morgan, a middle-aged English professor at Columbia University, and her platonic relationship with math professor Gregory Larkin, played by Jeff Bridges. Um, mm. So a very shady review I read from the Washington Post for this film read, quote, Although meant to be a bubbly romantic comedy, the movie is actually a very public tragedy for Streisand, who still can't quite believe that she's not Michelle Pfeiffer. At 54, it's time to get over girlish hangups, forget the noble schnoz, and thank (gasps) God that unlike Cher, you're still recognizable. (gasps) Whoa! That was really shady. Oh my gosh, that was nasty. Nasty. Um, Anyway, Barbara's last three films have included 2004's Meet the Fockers, yeah. 2010's Little Fockers and 2012's The Guilt Trip with Steth Rogen. Um, here's a list of famous men whom Barbara dated. Ooh, yes, Number please. one, she was married to Elliot Gould from 1963 to 1971, and they have one child, Jason Gould. Mm-hmm. In 1969 and 1970, she dated Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. What? From 1983 to 1987, she lived with Richard Baskin, ice cream heir to the Baskin Robbins fortune. (laughs) Wow. She dated actor Don Johnson in 1987 and 1988, and they recorded a duet together called Till I Loved You from the never staged musical Goya, a life and song about the life of Spanish artist Francisco Goya. The original version of it was sung by Placido Domingo and Dionne Warwick. What? Like it's it's as if they heard this and they were like like lying by the fire or whatever. Are they in like on a bearskin rug by the fire after making love and they're like, we should sing this too, right? (laughs) We should record this. 87 to 89 Don Johnson is peak Don Johnson. Peak Don Johnson, right? I mean, honestly, yeah. All right. In the 1980s, she briefly dated Richard Gere and Clint Eastwood. What? Then she dated tennis player Andre Agassi from 1992 to 1993. And she was 28 years older than him. And that was like a big deal at the time. All right. In the 1990s, Barbara was in romantic relationships with newscaster Peter Jennings, as well as actors Liam Neeson, John Voight, and Uh. Peter Weller. She's also reported to have had affairs with several heads of state, both international and here at home, and I won't name them here because I cannot substantiate these claims, but if you go on the internet, maybe somebody else will tell you some more of these men with whom Barbara Streisand is purported to have canoodled. (laughs) Canoodled. I love love how it's like, Pierre Trudeau, true. Everybody else, wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But Streisand married for a second time on July 1st, 1998 to actor James Brolin. And following their marriage, she recorded an album of love songs called A Love Like Ours, which was released in 1999. Um, So then 
she no, she's singing now. She's singing. She's doing great. Um, she released the albums Love is the Answer, which reached gold selling status in the US and What Matters Most in 2009 and 2011. In the fall of 2012, she announced the arrival of another album, Release Me, a collection of unreleased materials from several sessions over the course of her career. In 2014, she followed it up with Partners, which was an album of duets with a series of acclaimed male artists, including Stevie Wonder, Billy Joel, and John Legend. Um, So with sales exceeding 150 million records worldwide, Streisand is one of the best-selling recording artists of all time. According to Mm. the RIAA, she is the second highest certified female artist in the United States with 68.5 million certified album units. That's just 1 million fewer than Mariah Carey. Wow. Billboard ranks Streisand as the greatest female artist on the Billboard 200 chart and the top adult contemporary female artist of all time. She's been awarded pretty much every single possible merit-based and arts award out there, um, including the <laughs> yeah. Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2015. Um, so uh, another tangent. Have you sure. heard of the Streisand effect? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for those who haven't, this refers to a phenomenon in which an attempt to hide, remove, or censor information ends up having the unintended consequence of increasing awareness of that information. Mm -hmm. So this is named after Barbara Streisand, whose attempt to suppress the California Coastal Records Project's photograph of her residence in Malibu, California, which was taken to document California coastal erosion inadvertently drew greater attention to the photograph in 2003. Yeah. So uh, before she filed her lawsuit against them, image 3850 from the California Coastal Records Project had been downloaded from the website only six times, and two mm. of those downloads were by Streisand's attorneys. But as a result of the case, public knowledge of the picture increased greatly, and within a few months of the suit announcement, more than a million people visited the site. Of course. And the lawsuit was dismissed, and Streisand was ordered to pay the photographer's legal fees. Yeah, I mean, once you find out about what her house looks like, don't you think you want to Google it and download it and then show it to all your friends? Absolutely. This is Barbara Streisand's house. Look at Absolutely. it. All right. Another kind of controversy here. In 2018, mm. Barbara Streisand raised eyebrows with the announcement that she had cloned yeah. her dog, Samantha, yes. after the dog's death the previous year and was now enjoying the company of two puppies so cloning animals especially pets again it's it's pretty controversial take yeah right? I, would, um, I would say so moving or copying all or nearly all genes from one animal to form a second genetically nearly identical animal it's usually done through one of three methods and ever since dolly the sheep was created as a clone in 1996 the idea mm-hmm. of cloning other animals has become commercial uh, polo horses and camels are being cloned for competition use Like they are. Um, And endangered animals to add genetic diversity to inbred species are also being cloned in certain centers. And this is called conservation cloning. So two examples of this were born in 2020. The black-footed ferret, which is one of the rarest and most endangered land mammals in North America. And Przewalski's horse, a rare endangered horse originally native to the steppes of Central Asia. Mm. So they've been cloned. Like it's, it's crazy. That creeps. It creeps me you out. out. And you know what should creep you out more? The only extinct animal to be cloned as of 2020 is a Pyrenean ibex, which was born in Spain in 2003, but it did it did die a few minutes later due to physical defects in its lungs. But Ugh. but can you imagine? Like Ugh. we're take like they have the possibility of taking samples from animals that have become extinct and 
recreating them. This is how we get Jurassic Park, everybody. Honestly, there have been so many movies. It has been a warning to us all. It made a ton of money. Michael Crichton wrote a whole book about it. Like, come on, everybody. Yeah, it wasn't like supposed to be a manual. It was supposed to be a warning. Exactly. It's a warning. Stop it. (laughs) So here's the thing, though. Unfortunately, I guess the mortality rate for cloned animals is actually higher than for those born of natural processes. Yeah, because they're fucked up. Like, (laughs) (laughs) they're all like gibbly gobbly inside their DNAs and stuff. And while pet cloning is sometimes advertised as a prospective method for regaining a deceased companionship animal, pet cloning does not result in animals that are exactly like the previous pet in looks or personality. The first commercially cloned pet was a cat named Little Nikki, produced in 2004 by Genetic Savings and Clone. No. Boo. Pause for applause here. Um, for a North Texas woman, and she paid fifty thousand dollars for this. For a cat? For a cat? Yikes! She really liked the cat, I guess. Genetic I mean, I savings and okay. clone. Come oh, on! I hate it so much. All right. In 2015, Suam Biotech in South Korea was reported to have cloned 700 dogs to date for their owners, reportedly charging about $100,000 US for each cloned puppy. Yikes. Some people have too much money. Some people have too much money. It's crazy. Uh, I'm sorry. Anyway, Barbara today, she's now 80 years old. What? She looks amazing. years old. She's very active on social media. She is still promoting her album Release Me Too, which came out in August 2021. Um, So she is the only female artist to have achieved 14 multi-platinum albums. She's had number one albums in each of the last six decades, a record not matched by any other artist. With a total of 34 Billboard Top 10 albums to her credit since 1963, Streisand holds the records for the most top 10 albums by a female artist and for the widest span between the first and latest top 10 albums by a female recording artist. That's 52 years. Whoa. So Release Me Too, which came out in 2021, topped out at number 15 in the US, making her the only woman with a top 20 album in each decade since the 1960s. Wow, that's amazing. It's crazy, her career. And she's still going, you know. And she's still going, yeah. She loves James Brolin. She loves her son. You know what? They seem good together, her and James. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like he knows, like, they have a good understanding of each other's personalities and things. I'm just, you know what? It's nice. Plus, (laughs) handsome older guy. He's very She could do worse. He's a great voice, too. He's got a great voice. So that's Babs. Oh, love Babs. Thank you, Julia. That was great. There was definitely some things in there that I did not know sure. at all. Yeah, Super. I certainly didn't. Um, so my quiz is actually called Don't Rain on My Parade, Lauren. Um, this, <laughs> is, this is a quiz on famous movie musicals, but it turns out that you love them. Um, not I will, all of them, so we'll see. <laughs> I will give you the titles of four songs from each movie musical, and you will tell me the title of the production. Ooh, and if okay. you're really stuck, I can give you the year of the production. Okay, but then you only get half credit. Oh, okay, all right. So that's fair. So that's you fair. know, it could be trickier. Yeah, um, yeah. So yes, this is a quiz on famous movie musicals. Okay. Question one: Your songs are. Cadillac Car, 
fake your way to the top one night only and I am telling you I'm not going number two your songs are America one hand one heart I feel pretty and G officer Krupke number three your songs are the name of the game the winner takes it all SOS and dancing queen Number four, your songs are You Can't Win, A Brand New Day, Slide Some Oil to Me, and Ease On Down the Road. Number five, your songs are Funny Honey, Mr. Cellophane, When You're Good to Mama, and Razzle Dazzle. Number six, your songs are Dumb Dog, I Think I'm Gonna Like It Here, You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile, and Easy Street. Number seven, your songs are Take Me or Leave Me, I'll Cover You, Tango Maureen, and La Vie Boheme. Number eight, your songs are Skid Row, Dentist, exclamation point, Grow For Me, and Suddenly Seymour. Number nine, your songs are Tomorrow Belongs To Me, Maybe This Time, Mine Hair, and Vilkomen. And finally, number 10, your songs are I Have Confidence, 16 Going on 17, The Lonely Goat Herd, and Edelweiss. I will give you all a minute to think about it and be back with your answers. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Barbara Streisand. I am gonna rock this quiz. I'm gonna rock this quiz. That's my new song about a movie musical that I just wrote right now. Julia. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Question one. Your songs are Cadillac Car, Fake Your Way to the Top, One Night Only, and And I Am Telling You I'm Not Going. And I am telling you that this is Dreamgirls. It is Dreamgirls. This is 2006. So the film version was adapted from the 1981 Broadway musical of the same name. And the story follows the history and evolution of an American R&B music group during the 1960s and 70s through the eyes of a Detroit girl group known as The Dreams, along with their manipulative record executives. Mm. So it stars Jennifer Hudson, 
Beyonce, Anika Nani Rose, with Jamie Foxx, Eddie Murphy, and Danny Glover. This was mm-hmm. the film acting debut of Jennifer Hudson, who won the Best Supporting Actress for her portrayal of Effie White, which was Luminous. inspired by the story of Florence Ballard of the Supremes. So the dreams were like loosely, um, sketchily based on the Supremes. Mm-hmm. All right, number two. Your songs are America, One Hand, One Heart, I Feel Pretty, and G, Officer Krupke. Uh, that is my favorite movie musical, which is West Side Story. Absolutely. Um, from mm-hmm. both 1961 and the remake in 2021. So the character Anita was played by Rita Moreno in 1961. Mm. And it was played by Ariana DeBose in 2021. Both won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for the role, becoming the first time that two actresses won Oscars for playing the same role. Can you mm-hmm. name me? This bonus quiz question for you right Uh-oh. here. Can you name me? the other two times that actors each won the Oscar for playing the same role. Oof. Um, uh, can I name the character, I guess? Sure. The role? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm going to guess, um, boop, boop, boop. I'm going to guess like classic character, like Romeo of Romeo and Juliet or like James Bond or, not those. There have been a lot of James Bond. I don't know if any James Bond has ever won uh, Yeah, I guess not. They don't really love an action film, the Oscars. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What are okay. they? So this is Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro, each one for playing Vito Corleone. Oh, of course. And then of course. Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix, each one for playing the Joker. Oh, I didn't realize that Joaquin Phoenix. Fe- you know what? I blocked that out. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird time. Yeah, it was a really weird time. Yeah, but That's then the third the third time of this is uh, Rita Marino and Ariana DeBose. So there mm. we go for Anita in West Side Story. All right, number three, the name of the game, the winner takes it all, SOS and Dancing Queen. Uh, this is Mamma Mia. Here we go again. You're right. Here we go again. Uh, this is from 2008. The original one, not the sequel, you know. Um, So the musical is, of course, based on the songs of pop group ABBA with additional music composed by ABBA member Benny Anderson. Um, So the plot follows a young bride-to-be who invites three men to her upcoming wedding with the possibility that any of them could actually be her father. It seems fun. Yeah, it seems fun. It seems light. I I do have an anecdote about Mamma Mia. So my father, Dave Tegelfaro, you know, friend of the show, um, he doesn't listen to this ABBA. Hates disco. Uh-huh. Hates disco so much. Has hated it since it's disco's inception. And he uh, was going with an, uh, with my mom and another couple to go see Mamma Mia up in Toronto. And they got tickets and everything. And I remember being like, that's weird that dad's going to go see Mamma Mia. So he came downstairs one day while I was watching TV. And the ad for it came up on TV. And I said, oh, dad, this is the show you're going to go see. He goes, no, it's not. That's ABBA music. I'm not going to see that. I said, no, Dad, that's Mamma Mia. He goes, no, the play we're going to go see is about an Italian family. I said, nope, it's based around the ABBA song Mamma Mia. And he was so devastated. He actually sank down onto the couch with a look of horror on his face. And I laughed so hard, especially because, I don't know if you remember this, but Mamma Mia, the stage show was very encouraging for people to dress up and dance in the aisles and really participate in the music. 
And unfortunately, dad got swept up into that as well, which is probably his mm, second least favorite thing besides disco music, which is other people dancing and participating in in a stage show. So that was probably the worst theater experience he has ever had. He could have gone to. Mm -hmm. And I think about that, I think, every time I hear an ABBA song, to be honest. (laughs) Work when he gets you a nice play about an Italian family. It's, it's a nice play about an Italian family. Nope. Sorry, Dave. Wrong on that part. Should have just stayed home and watched Moonstruck again. <laughs> All right. Number four. You can't win a brand new day, slide some oil to me, and ease on down the road. That's the whiz. It is the whiz. I thought this one was hard. So that was from 1978. So the film features a reimagining, of course, of L. Frank Baum's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz with an all-black cast. It's loosely adapted from the 1974 Broadway musical of the same name. It follows the adventures of Dorothy, played by Diana Ross, who is a shy 24-year-old Harlem school teacher who finds herself magically transported to the urban fantasy land of Oz, which resembles a dream version of New York City. She's a befriended by a scarecrow played by michael jackson mm-hmm. a tin man nipsey russell and a cowardly lion ted ross and she travels through the city to seek an audience with the mysterious whiz played by richard Pryor, who they say yes. is the only one powerful enough to send her home mm-hmm. i think in recent years it's kind of like it's it's had a resurgence yeah exactly yeah yeah and they did a, like a live version of it on nbc a few years ago yes too. right mm-hmm. all right number five your songs are funny honey Mr. Cellophane, When You're Good to Mama, and Razzle Dazzle. This is Chicago. It is, of course, Chicago from 2002. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is Roxy Hart, played by Rona Zellweger, and Velma Kelly, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. They are two murderesses who find themselves in jail together awaiting trial in 1920s Chicago. So Roxy, a housewife, and Velma, a vaudevillian, fight for the fame that will keep them from the gallows. So... With this film, Catherine Zeta-Jones won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress and Chicago won Best Picture along with a ton of other awards. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. In college, Maggie and I watched it like once a week. (laughs) It's a great movie. It's surprisingly good considering that you don't really think of Renee Zellweger or Catherine Zeta-Jones as being like, musical actresses but they really held their own especially Catherine Zeta-Jones oh my god and then Christine Baranski the pride of Buffalo pride of Buffalo thank you she's so good and John C. Riley. he did Mr. Cellophane I loved it I loved it it was great it was great oh and Queen Latifah of course oh yeah of course I mean she's amazing anyway all right number six dumb dog I think I'm gonna like it here you're never fully dressed without a smile and Easy Street. Uh, that's Annie. Of course, it's Annie from 1982. Um, so if you haven't watched Annie by now, um, it's set during the Great Depression in 1933. And the film tells the story of Annie, an orphan from New York City, who's taken by America's richest millionaire, Oliver Warbucks. Um, 8,000 <laughs> girls auditioned for the part of Annie, which went to Aileen Wild. Quinn. Um, she is now an adjunct theater professor at Monmouth University, where part of the film was part of the movie was filmed Um, and she has her own band called Aileen Quinn and the leap in lizards. All right. She's no, it's fun. (laughs) All right. Number seven, your songs are take me or leave me. I'll cover you tango Maureen and la vie bohème. Oh, that's rent. 
It is Rent. Um, From 2005 is when the movie came out. It's an adaptation of the 1996 Broadway musical of the same name by Jonathan Larson, which was in turn based on Giacomo Puccini's 1896 opera La Boheme. Pretty good. All right. Number eight. Your songs are Skid Row, Dentist, exclamation point, Grow For Me, and Suddenly See More. Uh, That's Little Shop of Horrors, which I have never seen. I haven't seen it either, but it was like... Hmm. It was like the the high school musical that happened yes. in a show I watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. I feel like Little Shop of Horrors were like, especially in college, it was like that was the musical that was like for the cool theater kids. That was like, <laughs> oh, you don't, you haven't seen Little Shop, oh. um, whatever. Yes, like, yeah, that's how they, know. that's how they read it, the, it. Little Shop. Yeah. Um, it was, came out in 1986, and it centers mm. on a floral shop worker who discovers a Venus flytrap that feeds on human blood. It stars Rick Moranis as Seymour Krellborn, Steve Martin as Oren Scrivello, the sadistic <laughs> dentist, um, Ellen Green as Audrey, and Levi Stubbs as the voice of Audrey too, which is the name of the evil extraterrestrial flytrap. Um, so Ellen Green was not the first choice for the role of Audrey. The studio wanted Cindy Lauper, who turned it down. Barbara Streisand, <gasps> also rumored to have been offered the part. Ooh. And, but since Green was the original off-Broadway Audrey, the role was given to her. Um, mm. So the animatronic and fabrication team for Audrey 2 consisted of a lot of the same people who had worked on the creatures in Labyrinth. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. That's cool. All right, number nine. Your songs are Tomorrow Belongs to Me, Maybe This Time, Mine Hair, and Willkommen. Uh, this is my second favorite musical, which is Cabaret. It is 1972 Cabaret, directed by Bob Fosse, starring Liza Minnelli as Sally Bowles, Michael York as Brian Roberts, and Joel Gray as the MC. So um, good. So if you haven't seen this, um, but you have watched Schitt's Creek, this is the yep. musical that they put on in the toward the final season. Um, so Cabaret, set in Berlin during the Weimar Republic in 1931, under the presence of the growing Nazi party. The film is loosely based on the 1966 Broadway musical Cabaret by Kander and Ebb, which was adapted from Christopher Isherwood's semi-autobiographical novel, The Berlin Stories, and the 1951 play, I Am a Camera. Um, This was Liza's first role to sing on screen, and she won the Academy Hmm. Award for Best Actress. Cabaret holds the record for most Oscars earned by a film not honored for Best Picture. They've got eight Oscars that didn't also get Best Picture. This was the musical that uh, my best friend Lysandra and I in high school watched like 50 times in a row. It was unstoppable. And, you know, when you are 16, Sally Bowles is like the coolest of cool girls. Like you definitely want to be here. And then as an adult watching Sally Bowles, you're like, ugh, she's insufferable. (laughs) She's not a good person. Um, But damn, can Liza sing. So great show. All right. You're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Question 10. The songs are I Have Confidence, 16 Going On, 17, The Lonely Goat Herd, and Edelweiss. Oh, this is the sound of music. Of course it is. 1965. Um, This was the first American movie to completely dubbed in a foreign language, both the dialogue and the music. Um, The German, French, Italian, and Spanish versions were completely dubbed, and the Japanese version had Japanese dialogue with English songs. It was in theaters in the U.S. for four and a half years 
Whoa. you know, back when they could do that. And this was yeah. the first film to gross over $100 million. Um, wow. In 2015, Billboard named the movie soundtrack album the second greatest album of all time. What's the first? I don't remember. I knew oh, you were okay, going to ask okay. me that as soon sorry. as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Billboard 2015 <laughs> best album of all time. Oh, it might be. Really? Adele's 21? Really? Ugh. I mean, it's a good album, but like, really? Of all time? Yeah. Adele 21 named the greatest album of all time by Billboard. I mean, it's a good album, but of all time, Billboard? All time? All right. I mean, you're the experts, How not me. That? Well, that's interesting. My there good friend it. Jeff Mayer is a Julie Andrews Stan? super fan. Yeah, why wouldn't you be? Super fan. I mean, she's luminous and has an incredible voice and a great actress and i mean i'm personally like i really like her in victor victoria where she's playing um a woman disguised as a man disguised as a woman it's a great show and she looks great she looks great in it too that's another like weimar republic-esque kind of i feel musical. like julie i feel like julie i feel like julie andrews is the next betty white Right, like who do we have Julia, now? Julia, don't. Who do we have now? You know, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Well, we have Henry Winkler. He's no Julie Andrews. Well, no, but he's beloved and he's really sweet, and everyone really loves him. He's like, you know, the internet's grandpa. He's not. He's not a hundred years old yet. No, that's true. He's not. But oh yeah, I mean, you're probably right. But don't, don't speak truth to that. It's Julie. What can I do? She already can't sing anymore because of her polyps. <laughs> <laughs> anyway that was great great I'm job sure. lauren <laughs> for somebody that says she hates musicals actually she really likes musicals guys i you heard have, here on the podcast i have a love hate relationship with musicals how about that how about we go with that love hate relationship yes i have a i have a tenuous bond with musicals but i got it got me 10 out of 10 so i can't complain you can't complain um, Thank you. That was so informative. I learned so much about Babs. That's so cool. Thank you. <laughs> you doing all right over there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, um, uh, thanks to Julia for her incredible topic. Thank you for that great quiz that I got 10 out of 10 out of. I'm just going to keep mentioning that because it's yeah, so sure. rare for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. We will catch you next time. Bye.